0: Thing you need to fight the trump administration this is the bill press show live at youtube.com the bill press show well donald trump had a good day
1: first the Mueller report and then michael avenatti getting nabbed on both coasts he's had a lot of bad days yesterday was a good one for him hey what do you say everybody Can you believe it? It's a Tuesday, Tuesday, March 26th, barreling here toward the end of March 2019 with the Bill Press Show. Hello, 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 and welcome to the program here. As always, we have lots to talk about, lots happening uh, both on Capitol Hill and down at the White House and around the rest of the country and the world, which is, hey, that's our universe We take a look at all the news of the day and bring it to you for the next two hours with the help of our good guests and with your input as well. Yes, all the big stories. Uh, Now, after attacking him for two years, Donald Trump says, yeah, Robert Mueller's a pretty nice guy. He acted honorably. Yeah. Next thing you know, he'll be inviting him over to the White House or playing golf with him. God, who knows? Um, Trumpers. Are now they've got to find somebody to put pin the blame on. It looks like they're trying to do it to Congressman Adam Schiff, chair of the House Intelligence Committee, demanding that he resign because he dared express his support for Robert Mueller during the probe. And yes, Michael Avenatti allegedly trying to shake down Nike and arrested at the office of Nike's attorneys yesterday in New York while charges were also filed against him in California. We'll follow all of that, bring you up to date on what's going on, get the help of our guest and get your comments. Please let us know what you think about the news of the day. Send us your snarky comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Lots to talk about, but first...
0: This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. So British Airways had a little bit of a problem earlier this week. They had, I
1: love this story.
0: It's crazy, right? I love it. <laughs> well, they passengers got on a British Airways flight that was supposed to go to Dusseldorf, which, of course, is in Germany. Mm-hmm. They got on the plane, plane flying along, and then they land safely, which is good news, except they landed in Edinburgh, Scott, Scotland,
1: <laughs> which is
0: not Dusseldorf in Germany. The plane left <laughs> London City Airport, was redirected, and landed in Dusseldorf, the they filed the
1: uh, the wrong flight plan.
0: They did. They followed the wrong yeah. flight plan. But they started out the right way. It just, it, it, everybody was told we're going to Dusseldorf, mm-hmm. and so the pastors had no idea. And when they landed, they had no idea what was going on. It was very confusing. They are still, by the way, working out how to get some of these somehow back
1: in the home. computer. While they said we're going to Dusseldorf, they fed to the computer all the flight. You know, vectors for Edinburgh. Yeah. I read about one woman who flies there often, and she realized that they were like mountains as they were landing, and, yeah. and Düsseldorf is flat. <laughs> so she knew they were not in Düsseldorf.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I always love this story because every year the Library of Congress picks out a sort of wide-ranging set of recordings, either songs or albums or speeches or monologues, field recordings and some uh uh, instances and they add them to the National Recording Registry. Yeah. So these are important recordings that the Library of Congress uh, puts into the National Recording Registry. They have 525 <laughs> recordings total, but they just announced the new ones that are going in. So, Jay-Z's 2001 album, The Blueprint, is going in there. They say that was the one that sort of solidified him as hip-hop royalty. It's also, as they point out, the album that introduced us to Kanye West, Uh uh, for better or worse. They also added uh, La Bamba by Richie Valens. They said that Hmm. that was sort of a a pioneering rock song for uh, uh, Latino uh, music. And they said that that song influenced Latino music for generations to come. Uh, They added a couple of other ones. Curtis Mayfield, Superfly, Earth, Wind & Fire, September. Uh, So important music that they put in there. They say all of them have some sort of cultural relevance. Uh, not just songs that are, you know, good.
1: The great Library of Congress getting greater, even greater. This is the Bill Press Show. Okay, first we had the report. Now we get the revenge. Oh, yes. Donald Trump and company are... uh, Ple- pledging to go out after anybody who said anything critical about them uh, over the last two years or in any way expressed any hope or support for special counsel Robert Mueller. What do you say? Hello, hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday and a big welcome uh, to the Bill Press Show here this Tuesday, March 26, 2019. Good to see you today. Hey, thanks for being with us as uh, we got lots to talk about. Uh, On the aftermath of the release of the Mueller report, still with Congress coming back in town, a lot of reaction on many fronts yesterday and a lot of reaction down at the White House as well. So uh, you're in the right place to find out the news of the day as we join you online on the radio and on television and look forward to hearing from you what you think about what's going on now that you've had a time a little bit to uh, filter it all out. Uh, Over the last uh, 24 hours, send us your comments on Twitter at BP show at BP show as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the bill press show. As we join you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana talks and uh, all over the great city of Chicago and the surrounding communities of Chicago on WCPT. And look at you on Free Speech TV nationwide, coast to coast. There with you as well. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Big stories of the day: the still, the the um, rollout of the Mueller report and its reaction on Capitol Hill, including calls now for Adam Schiff to either resign or as member of Congress or as chair of the House Intelligence Committee. Why, Michael Avenatti, um, one of the uh, most prominent um, defense attorneys in the uh, country today, trial attorneys in the country, who represented uh, for a brief period Stormy Daniels suing Donald Trump for defamation. uh, Michael Avenatti having his own legal problems yesterday, which we'll talk more about, um, mainly uh, dealing with uh, his attempts to, uh, the prosecutors say, extort $25 million out of Nike and Democrats, have given the Attorney General, William Barr, until next week, I think it's Tuesday, March the 2nd, at any rate, They said, that's your deadline for giving us, turning over to us the entire Mueller report and all the documents that go with it. And with that, great lineup of guests. Graham Vise from Governing Magazine will be uh, joining us in about a half an hour uh, Pamela Levy from Mother Jones at the top of the next hour, followed by Ed Chung, uh, legal analyst at the Center for American Progress. Uh, yes, indeed. You know, uh, the reaction to the White House is, uh, to, to the Mueller report uh, yesterday, I, th- I thought was um, maybe predictable, uh, but still uh, a little disturbing. Look, there's no doubt Donald Trump had a good day, okay? We admitted that yesterday. Um, may, maybe the country didn't. Uh, I still think that uh, Robert Mueller bowed out too soon. He, um, in, in sense, abdicated his responsibility as a prosecutor. Uh, he dropped the case, I think, before it was even finished. He m- gave up much, much too easily uh, in not interviewing the president of the United States. It's hard to believe you conduct a criminal investigation of the president of the United States without talking to the president of the United States. Uh, Donald Trump's attorneys did not want that to happen for good reason, because they couldn't trust their client to tell the truth. Uh, And Robert Mueller let them off the hook. Uh, He agreed to a set of written questions, written answers, which uh, that, that, that was not the work of Donald Trump. We all know those answers were written by his attorneys. So in fact, Robert Mueller was willing to take the attorney's word and not the principal's word for it. Uh, I think that was a big failure on his part. And I also think he failed, again, to complete the work when you still got Roger Stone and Paul Manafort and Michael Flynn and Rick Gates hanging out there where their fate has not finally been resolved. Uh, and also, he abdicated his responsibility, I believe, in uh, not reaching a conclusion about obstruction. Why not? He's the one who did the investigation. It's either there or it isn't there, uh, but to um, throw it in and say, I just I can't make up my mind, I'm not going to make up my mind, I'm not going to even try to resolve this, uh, I think failed to do his job as prosecutor. But still, having said that, it uh, in effect, he let Donald Trump uh, off the hook, uh, and you would think, uh, both on collusion and on obstruction of justice, You would think that that would give the White House uh, a chance to just settle back and say, oh, my God, thank God, that's over. But no, instead, uh, they're out for revenge. And it was coming from all quarters yesterday, uh, starting with Trump himself. And, you know, the point of it is we all hate uh, a sore loser, right? Sour grapes, sore losers. I think we hate sore winners worse than sore losers.
0: Man, that's so true.
1: You know, I mean, yeah. Okay, just say. I'm glad it's over. Now let's move on to other things. Oh, no, no, no. Instead, you've got all these calls for revenge. As I just say, starting uh, yesterday in the Oval Office with uh, with the president himself, um, John Carl from ABC News asking him, are you relieved this is over now? Notice how he immediately turns to, I'm going to get him.
0: Did this turn out to not be a witch hunt after all? You think Robert Mueller did a... It's lasted a long time. We're glad it's over. It's 100% the way it should have been. I wish it could have gone a lot sooner, a lot quicker. Uh, There are a lot of people out there that have done some very, very evil things, very bad things, I would say treasonous things, uh, against our country.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Because they dared question... What all these Trumpers were doing talking to all these Russians during the election when Donald Trump said there were no connections at all, oh, yeah, they did evil things. They did treasonous things because they wanted to know about things like um, $130,000 to Stormy Daniels to keep quiet about an affair she had with Donald Trump because they dared question who paid her and and how how were the payments made and... After Donald Trump said he knew nothing about it, uh, w- 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 what was up with what that great big lie. Yeah, we did evil things. We did treasonous things. And Donald Trump followed that up by saying, and we're going to be taking a look at them. We're going to be taking a look at them. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders picks up the same theme outside of the White House yesterday saying, so, so Trump is going after the people who— basically raised these questions and thought that, yes, Mueller and the FBI should be looking into these things. Uh, so is Lindsey Graham. We'll get to him in just a second. Sarah Huckabee Sanders goes after the media, of course.
2: I think Democrats and the liberal media should be absolutely embarrassed by their behavior over oh. the last two years in their breathless reporting and their hope it's not just that they reported and spread a slanderous, malicious lie, but they hoped for the takedown of the president of the United States.
1: By the way, uh, let me repeat that the media what was the media was reporting on and what we were all reporting on was what Robert Mueller was doing. Number one, this is a criminal investigation of the president of the United States started by the Justice Department and the people that he appointed to head the Justice Department. You can't ignore that. That's newsworthy. That's a big freaking deal, okay? Of the course of this investigation, there were 34 individuals and three corporations indicted by the special counsel, including six top Trump people. That's a big effing deal, okay? That's not hoping to bring down the president. That's just reporting what the special counsel was doing. During the course of this investigation, let me get the numbers for you, there were, Robert Mueller issued 2,800 subpoenas, took uh, exercised 500 search warrants, and interviewed 500 witnesses. That's a big effing deal. This was a serious investigation. So of course the media was reporting on it. But the fact that, and Sarah said this all along. Why aren't you talking about, you know, the new executive order we signed? Why are you talking about Robert Mueller? Because this was a big deal, um, and and Sarah Huckabee Sanders goes on to say. So if you want to get somebody, go after those people who were crit- who criticized Donald Trump.
3: Congress is so gung-ho to call people up to the hill. The list I would start with are Comey, Clapper,
2: Brennan, and other people in the FBI who perpetuated this absurd lie and this absurd idea that the president of the United States was somehow a foreign agent and colluding with
3: another government.
1: Yeah, well, there's good reason to think maybe he was, uh, After, particularly after that news conference we saw in Helsinki, uh, where Donald Trump says, hey, Vladdy told me he didn't do anything in the 2016 election, and um, I I have no reason not to believe him. (laughs) Yeah, he said that about Vladimir Putin. Uh, So, by the way, Sarah Huckabee Sanders didn't go down this road, but Kellyanne Conway did, uh, saying she thought, they're all looking for somebody to pin the blame on, she thought that Adam Schiff, Congressman Adam Schiff, uh, my good friend uh, from West Hollywood, California, uh, now the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, That she thought he uh, was the the most guilty one, and that he should resign. Uh, Followed by, believe it or not, the Republican leader of the House, Kevin McCarthy, said he also thought that Adam Schiff should resign as chair of the House Intelligence Committee. Why? Because Adam Schiff said he thought there was uh, a lot of smoke there, and that was worth investigating, and could be some fire. You know, I'll tell you. That the real reason why they want Adam Schiff, I believe, to step down is because he's so damn good. He is uh, probably, on this issue, the best of the Democrats in the Congress in explaining it, why it's important, and what, sh- what still remains to be investigated. What are the critical issues from, I think, Adam Schiff has been for the last couple of years the strongest voice the Democrats have on this. It,
0: it's also, I agree with that. It's also really telling that y- you see a lot of these uh, uh, Republicans, House members, who have completely given up on their job and are now just there to defend Trump and defend Trump's honor. Yeah, right? who
1: did nothing for the last two years about any of this. No. Right? No, right.
0: No, and, and also doesn't that, give a rat's ass about them. He's th- like, he wouldn't return the favor should they need Got that me, you know okay. what I mean? Right. So like uh this idea that Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise and everybody else that's now calling for Adam Schiff to resign and for more of these investigations to happen uh on the Democrats, it, they're just help they're just they just exist to help Donald Trump. Totally. Not to actually get anything done no just to help no. Donald
1: Trump. Right. Um, uh, 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 one other uh, Trump record, Rudy Giuliani, uh, his his view is, as he's expressed and and he did as early as Sunday, is that this whole investigation should never have happened in the first place. I don't have to give you the number again of all the people that were indicted and uh, all the subpoenas and everything. Uh, No, this was a serious investigation, Rudy, and there was good reason to start it. And remember, it was started, begun by the FBI when they first got word. That there's a guy who worked for Trump named George Papadopoulos, who was all over England talking about all the dirt they were getting on Hillary or could get on Hillary from Russian operatives. That's what triggered the FBI investigation uh, on the part of people that Donald Trump had appointed to head uh, the FBI. Um, and also Lindsey Graham mentioned Lindsey Graham. Uh, he was uh, he. Here's how far he goes. Now he's chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And Lindsey Gray believes that we need another special counsel to investigate the special counsel.
3: When it it comes to the FISA warrant, the Clinton campaign, the counterintelligence investigation, it's pretty much been swept under the rug except by a few Republicans in the House. Those days are over.
1: Here I come, Lindsey says. There's a new
3: sheriff in town, man.
1: He's from South Carolina. Come on. He really wants, yeah. He's still pursuing this rabbit that this whole thing started to defend Hillary Clinton and was all part of the Clinton campaign and the FBI was there. This BS that we heard from Donald Trump and and now Lindsey Graham, that, that this whole thing started because the FBI was trying to help Hillary Clinton win the election. So he's going to have, he wants, I don't think it's ever going to happen, but he's trying to get, he said there should be another special counsel to investigate how this special counsel and the FBI investigation all came about. Um, You know, I'd like to believe that even Republicans don't want another special counsel, but we'll see how far Lindsay gets.
0: I'm really glad these folks have their priorities in order. Yeah, right. Uh, meanwhile,
1: the Democrats have united behind one simple request, which I think uh, makes a lot of sense, which but, which is they're speaking out to uh, Bill Barr, the attorney. Uh, let me just stop. There's, I'm really distracted by this every time I mention Bill Barr. Okay. Um, I want to ask you, you've seen a lot of Bill Barr lately. You've seen pictures of him walking out of his house. Am I the only one that thinks he looks like Steve Bannon?
0: Okay, all right. Somebody actually—I mean, seriously—he dresses as bad as Steve Bannon almost. Somebody made a point. He's—he is a slightly better dresser than Bannon.
1: Slightly better, but he and... wears a suit and tie. But he doesn't wear that five shirts and uh, that tan jacket, he, right. Hunting Some... jacket.
0: Somebody but... said that uh, Bill Barr looks like Steve Bannon after getting a makeover from the queer eye for the straight guy. <laughs> Her... Which I think is pretty funny. I, I, I wish I could give the credit whoever it was that said it on Twitter, uh, but I saw that yesterday. It's very accurate.
1: I mean, seriously, I saw a picture of him walking like to his car, and I thought Steve Bannon. Yeah. Then I realized, oh no, yeah, that's Bill Barr.
0: It looks like if Steve Bannon became a youth pastor, it would be Bill Barr. Like he cleaned up his act a little bit.
1: You know what? He could be Steve Bannon. <laughs>
0: I mean, I've never seen the two of them in the same room at the same
1: That's time. That's right. Uh, Steve Bannon lives on the hill, and I haven't seen him lately.
0: Maybe he cleaned up his act.
1: <laughs> that could be the reemerge. Ult- that could be the ultimate Trump <laughs> trick. <laughs> at any rate, I've mentioned about it. so Democrats have you know in their call on Steve Bannon, which is okay. Uh, we see your four-page letter. Um, here it is again. I had it yesterday. We got your four-page letter. We're not going to settle for that. We need to see the goods. We need to see everything that Robert Mueller came up with, and we want it. Um, Chairman Jerry Nadler uh, added yesterday, um, by April the second. We don't want you to take two years. You know, we know you got to go through a little bit and decide if there's some grand jury testimony that's uh, that can't be released. So we'll set that aside. If there's some national security issues, we'll set that aside. But Otherwise, um, we want to see the full report, and we want it by April 2nd. Here is Chuck Schumer on the floor yesterday. Attorney General Barr's letter raises as many questions as it answers. The fact that Special Counsel Mueller's report does not exonerate the president on a charge as serious as obstruction of justice demonstrates one thing. We need the full report. Need the full report, and I think is absolutely right. I hope we will get it. The president yesterday was asked, uh, and this is not the first time he said it. Um, what about releasing? What about what are you? Th- what does he think about uh, r- r- letting the full report become public?
0: Up to the attorney general. Wouldn't bother me at all.
1: Wouldn't bother me at all. Up to the attorney general. Wouldn't bother me at all. Now, that can be read two ways. He might have told Barr, "Don't you
0: dare release that full report." Yeah, yeah. Just because Trump said it doesn't mean that it's you know
1: right true. Uh, but I do think, first of all, let me let me. I'm not too worried about this. I know Washington. The full report will come out, right? Yeah. And, and again, we made the distinction yesterday when Kenneth Starr finished his report, the wording. Uh, and the the rules regarding that special counsel were that he his report would be delivered to the Congress. And so there were truckloads that came to the Congress with all of that documentation right away. The way this special counsel was set up by the Justice Department internally, the report was to be delivered to the attorney general. But certainly... Um, I believe the the Congress has a right to see it, has an obligation to see it. They have an obligation to turn it over to the Congress, and we, the American people, have a right to see it, too. And I, I think it—I hope it's by next week. If not by next week, I think it's only a matter of time before we see that full report. Now, on that front, as if that wasn't uh, enough news for yesterday, Michael Avenatti, you know, I, I think— Whether you're Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, you had to have a little satisfaction in seeing Michael Avenatti getting nabbed yesterday, because he just became more and more obnoxious. I think. Uh, at first, I admired the guy, thinking, "Boy, this is a tough process a tough trial attorney. It's a guy who won on my side," and then he goes out and talks about running for president. I mean as if he's the savior of the world. I mean, give me a break. Uh, he got so crazy that even Stormy Daniels filed him, fired him. Uh, and yesterday, he faced charges on both coasts. Uh, and it started out in New York, where allegedly, according to the special prosecutor up there in the Southern District of New York, he had uh, told Nike, um, I'm going to come forward with some damaging information about you, but I won't make it. He had even he even announced that he's going to hold was going to hold a news conference today releasing this information. Uh, and um, but he told Nike, I'll'll hold it back. I will bury it. I won't go public. If you give my client one and a half million dollars, and if you hire me, this is again the complaint. Uh, not proven yet, But if you hire me, to represent Nike and help you with these problems about hiring young athletes to wear these shoes or paying athletes to wear their sneakers, Um, then give me $25 million and I'll I'll stay quiet. Mm. And when he arrived at the Nike, the attorney's office that represent Nike, the FBI was waiting for him there saying, this is a different kind of meeting than you expected. Uh, You're under arrest at the same time he charges were filed against him in California uh for allegedly uh defrauding a bank and extorting money from one of his extorting money from a bank and and and, and one of his clients both
0: by the way what th- th- what's really amazing by is by
1: coastal legal problems
0: and this tweet is still up oh that uh, he put I, out that he yeah. put out and he it's put this out up. yesterday yeah. at noon yeah yeah uh, tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, which I guess this isn't going to happen anymore. But he says tomorrow at 11 a.m. I think East- that news conference has been canceled. I think it's been canceled. Uh, we will be holding a press conference to disclose a major high school college <sighs> basketball scandal perpetrated by Nike that we have uncovered. This criminal conduct reaches the highest levels of Nike and involves some of the biggest names in college basketball. So that was yesterday mm-hmm. at noon. At
1: noon. I think it was 12.15 when he was... Uh, under arrest. Yeah. It was very short. It was very uh, quick. Was, yeah, matter of. Uh, so he put out the tweet, walked in for the meeting, and uh, the FBI was waiting for him there. Uh, he is now out on um, bail, by the way, on bond, paying $300,000 bond. Uh, so he is a free man now awaiting his trial and his charges. I don't think he's spoken out since he was charged. But uh,
0: he, he actually did tweet, tweet. In, in the middle uh, of the night. Uh, let's see what, oh. what time was it? It was 3:06 a.m.
1: <laughs> God, I don't follow Michael. I audio on Twitter. I'm going to have to. I don't start. either. I just went oh. to go look oh. it up. Oh, I see. Uh, oh. But
0: he's tweeting at 3:06 a.m. And my only comment on that is, uh, cocaine's a hell of a drug. Uh, <laughs> Michael Avenatti said quote I want to thank all of my supporters for your kind words and support today it means a lot to me I am anxious for people to see what really happened we never attempted to extort Nike and when the evidence is disclosed the public will learn the truth about Nike's crime and cover up now I'm not a legal expert but Jeffrey Tubin is and he had some analysis on what happened yesterday let me get your legal analysis of all of this Jeffrey My legal analysis is Michael Avenatti had a bad, bad day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I think we could sum it up that way. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, There was a little news on the uh, 2020 front yesterday. Elizabeth Warren uh, actually was on Colbert last night. And um, uh, Colbert asked her, uh, so do you believe, um, Attorney General Bill Barr?
2: Do you trust Barr's
1: judgment? Uh, on obstruction
2: here.
1: No. <laughs> no! Uh, well, I guess that uh, sums it up there. Yeah, right? I like these. I, I like it. the candidates who give, like Pete Buttigieg the other day,
0: should we get rid of the electoral college? Yes. Yeah.
1: Boom. That's all you need to say. It's
0: amazing, right? Yeah. Like, how far we've come with, with uh, campaigns when you look at Bill Clinton, who waffled about whether or not he smoked pot, right? Yeah. I did, but I didn't inhale, and all this. You know, it's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I smoke pot.
1: Yeah. And Elizabeth Warren says something I think this is fair. I've, I've, I'm very instructive because uh, I, I'm, I'm working on a uh, uh, maybe a thinking about my column this week, which, by the way, if you sign up for us uh, right on Twitter, you Follow will us on Twitter. automatically get the column uh, that in a sense, Robert Mueller might have done Democrats a big favor by getting his report out of the way because now Democrats can focus on the policies that are going to get them maybe control of the Senate in 2020 and get the White House back, focus on the economic policies and some that are going to um, deliver for the American people where Donald Trump did not. At any rate, Elizabeth Warren, I think, touches on this last night when she talks about what people are really asking about thinking about, and wanting Democrats to focus on. Here she is again with Steve Colbert.
2: I spent the last couple of days in New Hampshire.
1: I did a bunch of big public events. I took about 30 questions, just unfiltered from anybody, and then did long lines afterwards where I talked to people, probably all together over the weekend, got maybe 100 questions. And do you know the number that were
3: about the Mueller report? Zero.
1: Hmm. So... I think that's a good sign about what Democrats ought to be talking about. And by the way, that's what Elizabeth Warren's been talking about—just throwing out there, going out there, throwing one big idea out after another, starting with universal child care, the wealth tax, getting rid of the electoral college—all came from Elizabeth Warren. Lots going on at the uh, on the state at the state level. That's where, what she's talking about as she goes around from state to state. Uh, Let's check in with. Nobody knows that uh, area better than Graham Vise, our good friend from Governing Magazine, joins us next here on the Bill Press Show with all of you and your comments again, uh, not just welcome, demanded at uh, at BP Show on Twitter at BP Show. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the. And on a Tuesday, March 26th, here we go the Bill Press Show. Live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, we're here today thanks to the good help of the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard, the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 active and retired members, uh, determined to bring that uh, steel industry back here to the United States. We produce our own instead of buying so much uh, from Japan and China. Uh, and um, check out their website for their efforts in that regard and more good things that they're up to at usw.org. Uh, as promised, popping in here at the studio for the next half hour, Graham Vise is a staff writer at the Governing magazine, taking a look particularly at what's happening at the state level. More and more getting done at the state level since Washington is sort of that's you know, the uh, sitting on his hands, you
4: know, this is the song that never ends. <laughs> that, that, that's no. the way it, that's the way it. Well, always we seems call to them be.
1: laboratories <laughs> yeah. of democracy, that's right? Graham, right? it's right. good to see you. Good Thanks to for you coming in. Thanks for having me. Uh, we want to check up before we move forward, just take a look back at the last half hour and some of the comments, Peter.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, let's take a look back at the, at the last uh, 24 hours first, okay. Because our poll the poll that we had up uh, yesterday uh-huh. has been closed. Will the Mueller report be released to the public? Yes, no, or undecided. This was a close one. This was a really close one. Forty-two percent of you said yes, it will be released. Forty-six percent huh. of you say no, while twelve percent of you are still undecided. So that is our unofficial, official BP show poll. Which you, uh, yeah,
4: I, yeah, I disagree. I, I think, think it's got to come out.
0: I I I, 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 I'm in the same. I think so. Too. I mean, can you can you imagine? I mean, that the the sort of rampant
4: speculation that would take place if it. Remains secret. I mean, I you know I, that doesn't seem tenable. Uh,
1: yeah. It would be the the Mueller, a never ending Mueller report <laughs> right, if it right. does not for come good out. or ill. I mean, I, <laughs> it just no.
4: people would be having all sorts of conspiracy no, theories. exactly.
1: <laughs> plus, plus, also in Washington, I oh, yeah. Mueller is the only one who could keep a secret, but now he's done, right? right? So nobody else can keep a
4: secret, <laughs> right? Right. It's gonna it's gonna come out. Everyone else seems to leak,
1: it, right? <laughs> they do. You know that we live on leaks. <laughs> And uh, it may be just, um, it may take a while. But yeah, it'll get out. Yeah.
0: Uh so that was yesterday's poll. That was yesterday's okay. poll. Okay. All right. Uh, today's poll is okay. Did the Mueller investigation end prematurely? Mm. Yes, no, or impossible to say. That Oof. is, those are your choices there. Yes. Forty-four percent of you say yes. I'm gonna put you down as a yes vote. Okay. Uh twelve percent of you say no. Forty-four percent of you say it's impossible to say. And a couple of comments on that no, really it's quickly. Not. Uh Tom says, Why would Mueller ask for a delay? To, until May for the gate sentencing, then abruptly end and file a report. That seems weird.
1: I agree. Uh, and yeah. Ed,
0: Ed says, until we see the report, how can we know? We need to see the full report. And, of course, someone else asks the question, the obvious question, why don't Democrats just subpoena Robert Mueller himself to testify?
1: Uh, I'd say wait 24 hours for that. <laughs> it won't take long. Sure. Uh, they may not have to subpoena him. But mm-hmm. they, w- they will if they have to. Sure. And uh, as we discussed yesterday. To testify the- before Congress. Pardon me? To testify yeah. before right. Congress. You right. think he, w-
4: he would testify in public or a private? Yes. Private. Si- wow.
1: I think so. Comey did. That's true. You're no I wrong. mean, Robert Mueller is a private citizen. Yeah. Retired. Yeah. Former FBI director. Yeah. Uh, I don't know under what grounds he could say, I refuse to testify.
4: Boy, that'd uh, be another big day on the Hill. <laughs> Uh, Yes, (laughs) you think right?
1: Circle the wagons. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think he'd have to, Uh, and he, and and I think he would actually. He may not say everything people want him to, right? But right. uh,
0: That it. That's it. Find us on Twitter. <laughs> Show MVP. I wasn't sure there were more mean, <laughs> no. There's a lot more, but I mean, we yeah. can do again, this this is the song that never ends. That's we can right. Do this all, day. <laughs>
1: all right. Um, one other thing, Peter, I want to ask you about, and Graham, your take on it too. I couldn't quite, I didn't quite follow because I didn't, I didn't watch it. The Big Apple announcement yesterday. We haven't talked about it yet. That's right. Okay. So, That's right. Uh, if we all or are we all changing our allegiance to? From Amazon to Apple, or from Netflix to Apple—I mean, what's going on here?
0: Well, if I could just give a little bit of so so, Apple had a bunch of different ideas that they threw out yesterday. They announced they're getting into banking. Weirdly enough, like they're they're going to have an Apple credit card.
1: They want to take over the world.
0: They they, they absolutely want to take yeah, over the world. They're going to have
1: their own credit card. Yeah,
0: and, and, and you know, it's—I mean, look, I think Apple is a. A conf- it's, it's conflicting to buy Apple products, right? I think they got a lot of problems uh, w- with their taxes and their, their labor uh, stuff. But one of the things that struck me yesterday, right, is that Apple used to create these new, exciting, fun, cool products, right, whether it was the iPod or the iPhone or the iPad or whatever it is. And now it just seems like they're taking aim at other people and trying to, ki- like, kill their business. Right, so Mint is a pretty popular online banking institution, mm-hmm. I would say at this point, and Apple is sort of taking aim at them. Uh, the big, big plank of their their announcement yesterday was Apple TV Plus. So they already have Apple TV, which you know you have these subscriptions to different. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Entertainment entities, I guess, and you could watch them sort of on demand. Uh, well, Apple TV is getting into that space themselves. So they had a ton of celebrities there. I mean, they had oh, Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, a ton S- of other actors
1: saying that we're going to produce programming wow. for the new Apple TV
0: Plus. Yeah, exclusive to yeah. Apple TV Plus. So it's yeah. sort of like Netflix, right? <laughs> you know, you've seen a lot of people that have gone to Netflix <laughs> to do uh, exclusive content for Netflix. Apple TV Plus wants to do the same thing, so they're now they're taking aim at Netflix
1: and putting a lot of money into this. Graham, so yeah, I mean it's, it's cool. so it's so interesting. I mean,
4: I, I actually am uh, not a bad person to to weigh in on this because I, I for many years was a uh, devoted member of the Church of Apple. You know, I, same. W- I, I uh, you know, I, whenever there was a new, uh, you know, iPod or a new uh, MacBook, you know, I, that would be what I would want. It's funny in in recent years, actually, I have kind of moved away from that. I I have yeah. a Chromebook. I I uh I do have a MacBook, but like I'm sort of I no longer feel sort of that fealty and 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 loyalty that I that I used to. I think the bigger uh my bigger reaction to this uh which you kind of alluded to is just the immense scope and influence and kind of uh ambition and hunger to eat up more sectors of the economy and and the culture of of apple but also i mean certainly companies like amazon and facebook and google and these you know these other platforms you know and and thinking of of politics you know it's very telling uh which of our uh, candidates for president, which of our politicians on the hill seem to have any facility to talk about kind of the role of big tech in our culture? The the kind of should we regulate it? Should we not? You know, is this a is this a concern? Is this you know are we blasé about this? You know, and but it just it's a reminder of this story that these companies. Are in some ways some of the biggest drivers of uh, you know our our economy our culture. There's this, all this. There's a big um, you know piece in the New York Times over the weekend uh, where uh, basically in terms of the effect of screen time on uh, adolescence and on, you know, kind of all of our, uh, sort of our addiction to our screens and how sort of rich people are now moving away from that and wanting to live screen-free lives and sort of it's become a situation where sort of the middle class and the lower class are are, are more addicted and and, and and spending more time yeah, on, their, on their screens. Right. You know, and so it, I, I think, not to sort of completely blow up this uh, narrow conversation about Apple, but I, I, I'm so struck by... Uh, if it just I mean if ten years ago when you know we were having our iPod shuffles you know we could mm-hmm. have predicted that the the immense just uh reach and influence of this company you know which is a result of its success and a result of how much people you know enjoy their products in some ways but uh and and Apple I mean in many ways has been less of a uh kind of seen as less of a villain and 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 more of a defender for example of privacy than Facebook so Apple may, may not even be kind of the worst offender here but uh, but it's it's pretty intense.
1: <laughs> the, the reach of these companies is, also, uh, is uncanny, right? right? And there are two or three. I mean, you mentioned between Amazon and Apple, that's about it. Like, right. they control the world, right? It's
0: also really interesting. I think, Graham, you hit and, and, on something at how they slowly bring us into this cult, right? Like, Amazon yeah. – Oh, cool. I don't have to go to a bookstore. I can order my book online and it'll be here in a week and a half, right? And then next thing you know, it's getting, you know, you can get the books faster. Then you get more than just books. Then you can get it the next day. Then you get it the same day. And it's just like, whoa, that was fast. And like with Apple, it was really exciting to see the first iPhone. That was really awesome. And then now, all of a sudden, everything is tied to your Apple account, right? So you're sort of you almost feel trapped.
1: You do. Uh, I have to say, as a sucker, me, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean,
0: well we're both sitting here. here yeah, we
1: are. <laughs> and I mean, I, I have a, a, a iMac, Power Book. A, what I mean, iMac desktop, desktop, right. desktop, yeah, uh, and a MacBook, right? And and the iPhone, and because they're the best products out there, I think. Uh, it's. I mean, it's. So, it's
0: a tough thing to say, right? Because I think that both when we're talking about Amazon and Apple, uh, they're both sort of problematic companies, right? They've got problems, yeah. Uh, especially as as someone who considers himself to be a progressive, uh, they have some some very uh, serious problems. And yet, I give them my money.
4: And also, Peter, like I I, I think you're totally right. But my question would be, do you think? Th- and I, this is a genuine question. Do you think there's a tech company that doesn't have serious problems? I mean, I I I don't know. We don't know. You of know. I don't know
0: of one. Yeah. Right.
4: I, I mean, you know. So 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 we're. I agree. We're sort of in this weird, uh, you know, world now where <laughs> we've built. A, I mean, the, the line everyone always says is that if Facebook were a nation, it would be the largest nation on the earth. It's. I mean, it's like a. It's a massive nation state, you know, and so uh, and and yet, you know, when Mark Zuckerberg famously there was that sort of, I think, epoch defining day when Zuckerberg came before Congress. And uh, the big takeaway for a lot of people was the just seeming ignorance and lack of understanding of many members of our legislative body about kind of how. A company like Facebook really operates, which is pretty troubling. <laughs> all
1: right, so there we are. We've got Apple, we've got Amazon, we got all those problems. Let's get back to some of these stories <laughs> of the day. Um, Michael Avenatti, boy, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah, right? I mean, I I was so uh, you know chuckling to
4: myself about this that you know who could have possibly predicted. That Michael Avenatti might not be a great guy. I mean, it's just—it's. I feel so, uh, so, so just smacked in the face by this. You know, it's just—it's shocking. You know, I mean, he who told Time Magazine that the Democratic nominee in 2020 quote better be a white male. You know, which is like maybe it will be a white male, but probably not the best thing to say in a field of. Diverse candidates in a party yeah. that's excited about diversity and about having a person of color or, or a woman or you know, I mean, he he just seemed to be kind of an egomaniac.
1: <laughs> but you, uh, hello, but you know, you you might not have predicted this particular outcome, but you sort of knew. That oh, to somebody, be clear, I'm
4: totally kidding. Somebody, this was entirely predictable. Exactly, yeah, yeah. somebody
1: who was riding that high and so arrogant, yeah. right? Uh, and so all-consuming of the media and I mean and, and to the to the point where he could take from representing Stormy Daniels to running for president of the United States right. Uh, that, he was bound to fall on. His, By the way, did you bound see, to fall on his face? And did you see this big time? Uh, yesterday. This
4: didn't get as much play, but uh, Stormy he, Daniels' statement yesterday. Yeah, she, oh, man. she, she said she, uh-huh. she said something like, "There will be more announcements yeah. to come." Yeah, mm-hmm. so like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what she's planning on saying, but you she know, also
1: said she was saddened but not surprised.
4: Yeah, yeah. So she's she's turned against him in a big way, and I, I want to
1: say before we move on on this, and, and she in effect, fired him, right? right. That's right. Right. I, so, but, I think so. They, he I'm not claims, sure. I'm going to go
0: out there and say yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he claimed
1: that he just decided to move on. She said she fired him. Right. I believe her. Uh, and I think maybe she fired him because who knows? But who knows? she's got some reasons for no longer yeah. trusting him. I am uh,
4: watching that space, as we know, all will say. Um, I want to just agree with what you said earlier, which is that I understand why he had a moment in the Democratic Party as someone who uh Democrats gravitated towards. I frankly um had people in my own life who uh in uh like in my family who were very uh you know drawn to the idea that he was as you said a sort of tough fighter, uh you know, someone who was really going to bring it to Trump. You know, I think there's a lot of anxiety about When the Democratic nominee gets on stage with Trump, you know, how how will that person be able to handle themselves, you know, and and will that person be tough enough or or creative enough to kind of withstand all of the the inevitable onslaught that he will uh, throw at at the at the party's nominee? Uh, but I have to say that as much as I understood that, as much as I uh, I empathize with the desire of Democrats to have someone who's a strong uh, you know person, I, I was never convinced that <laughs> that was who Avenatti was, and now now it seems almost kind of farcical that. Uh, that, I mean there was a real you know he like Michael Barbaro was profiling him for the Daily and there were oh, yeah. big pieces in no, glossy magazines about Michael Avenatti, you know can he take on Trump and it's like maybe not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so uh so I wonder who I wonder who he's going to whom he's going to hire now as his attorney. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he may need one. Yeah. I, well, he does. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Um you know, I'd like to, um, I want to play for you, you may have heard uh, just before you came in, um, a, a little soundbite from Elizabeth Warren last night sure. on Michael, I'm, I'm wait a minute, slow down. Um,
0: Attorney General Michael Avenatti. <laughs> exactly.
1: No, Bill Barr. It's actually Elizabeth Warren, not on Bill Barr, but Elizabeth Warren talking about what she's hearing and what she's being asked about on the campaign trail. Uh, she's with uh, Stephen Colbert last night.
2: I spent the last couple of days in New Hampshire. I
1: did a bunch of big public events. I took about 30 questions, just unfiltered from anybody, and then did long lines afterwards where I talked to people, probably all together over the weekend, got maybe 100 questions. And do you know the number that were about the Mueller
3: report? Zero.
1: But I'll bet there were questions about Medicare for all. Uh, and some of the other things that she's talking about. I mean, that's you see that happening at the state level.
4: You do. Like, I mean, I, I, I uh, the first thing I'll say on on that uh, comment from her is that you know, my understanding, I didn't cover the um, 2018 races. You know, that wasn't my beat. I didn't cover it directly. But my understanding from reading all of the, the coverage of it and watching that campaign unfold is they, they didn't really run on the Russia investigation as a central um, mm-hmm. uh, argument. The Democratic candidates, they were running more on health care. They were running more on, um, you know, kind of, uh, you, you know, $15 minimum wage, you know, sort of pocketbook issues. Uh, and that does seem to be the, the consensus that uh, that now, you know, Democrats are going to continue to sort of focus on those issues as opposed to, um, you know, kind of getting dragged into a protracted um you know, discussion about the Mueller report. Although there, there have been a lot of people, kind of on cable news and in the media, that have really um, focused on that. But you know, the, the the question of kind of Medicare for all, um, that debate. I think I've been watching it uh, both at the at the national level and states that are now looking to pursue that. Um, and it's really fascinating for a couple of reasons. Number one is, um, you know, this is obviously the, the signature policy that Bernie Sanders really. Um, brought to the fore in 2016. It has become, um, at least the phrase Medicare for All has become, I think we would have to say, kind of the mainstream dominant idea in the mm-hmm. Democratic Party. Uh, many of the, uh, as, as you know, many of the leading contenders in addition to Bernie uh, are signed on to his bill, you know, for, for that policy. But we're also seeing... Um, you know, states and, and kind of leading advocates for Medicare for all, um, push this, uh, outside of Washington. So I did a profile, um, I guess it was uh, either last month or the month before about the National Nurses United Union, which is, uh, was by the way, one of the earliest backers of Bernie Sanders Absolutely. in 2016, particularly the California uh, nurses. That's for right. Thought. That's right. So Roseanne DeMauro, uh, uh-huh. you know, who was the sort of longtime, uh, you know, proudly militant, uh, li- labor leader, you know, someone who really, um, Has been. I mean, she was doing bus tours on Medicare for all, single payer healthcare decades ago. You know, going around California with with people like Ralph Nader, and you know, sort of pushing for that. Um, And so, uh, after they were had such success, the nurses union pushing Medicare for all in 2016, at least elevating it through the Sanders campaign, they have continued to see a huge uh, kind of. Uh, growth of their union, um, they feel as though uh, in states uh, around the country um, like California, uh, like um, I, I, bl- I believe it's New York um, and Uh, And and maybe Minnesota, although I'd have to check on those two, um, where they feel like they're going to be pushing not just at the federal level for uh, a kind of single payer uh, plan, uh, but also for, uh, you know, uh, plans that in the interim can be can can be at the state level. And and they feel like they have um, the wind at their back as a result of kind of the popularity of this idea uh, nationally.
1: Well, and just uh, building on what you said. I think all the Democratic candidates have embraced some version of Medicare for all. Right. And there are variations on the theme there. With some cases, some Bernie would just say, get rid of the private insurance companies right. altogether. Just have a single payer program. Mm-hmm. And he calls it Medicare for all. Um, you know, Amy Klobuchar and others are saying, um, give people a choice. Right. Open up Medicare. It's gradually. effectively
4: a public option, right? That exactly. they want.
1: Open up Medicare gradually. Lower the age rate, you know. So pretty soon, almost anybody who wants to, can, yeah. help, can sign up for Medicare. Yeah, or if you've got, if if you can afford it, and you trust them, you can buy private insurance if you want. Right. And I think eventually, under that plan, private insurance will just fade out, except for very, very few people. Right. I mean, uh, I'm so either uh, to me, anyone, any any anywhere on that spectrum, right? Sure is an improvement over what we got now and 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 would qualify as some form of medicare for all but you're right that was bernie sanders own his issue in 2016 today it's everybody.
4: Yeah, I'm actually very curious about what you just said because what you just said was a pretty pragmatic statement, which is that any version of Medicare for all, whether it's a public option or single payer, would be an improvement. I'm curious to watch as we see look to the Democratic primaries in 2020 whether there's a large constituency of people, maybe in the Bernie camp, who basically say single payer or bust. You know, you know, essentially who are who who, who make the argument that we can't, uh, you know, be pushing for something as watered down even as a public option, which it should be recalled, you know, that was sort of, uh, the furthest left idea that Barack Obama entertained, uh, you know, when he was pushing for healthcare care reform. Um, but you're, you hit the nail on the head about how th- the various Democrats are kind of talking about Medicare for all each in a different way. Pete Buttigieg, the South Bend, Indiana mayor who yeah. has been having kind of a little boomlet lately and is, you know, I think very impressive in a lot of ways. You know, his phrasing, which I thought was very kind of clever, is he talks about Medicare for all who want it. Right. So it's like that's a way of saying, you know, you can have (laughs) you can have this if you if you want to opt into it. But, you know, he's I don't it doesn't sound like he's pushing for complete uh, abolition of of um, of private health
1: insurance in in the same way. That's that's a that's a good way of putting it, I think, for him. Uh, And, you know, by. um, Maybe I don't know, this is early, right? We're still in 2019. But maybe a year from now we'll know what Pedro O'Rourke thinks about that. <laughs> I
4: mean look I, so uh, given that I don't uh, i am not a beat reporter on this maybe I can offer a little bit of opinion here I mean i I uh I, I feel like Beto's awfully uh, awfully kind of empty with some of these uh, you know, promises. I think we need to know well, a lot more think about... Think about
1: a blank slate as you've got a lot of room there to <laughs> fill in, right? And so, Where's he, the beef? Uh, <laughs> <you know? laughs> <Yeah. So. laughs> anyway. To see you hey, it's awful good to see you. Good thank to see you, thank you so too. Much. Thank you both for having Get me. Back From the state capitals to the, to the nation's capital <laughs> once in a while. When we come back, Pema Levy joins us from Mother Jones. You can follow yes. Gar- Graham at Governing And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support.
0: Thing you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
1: Well, you gotta admit, Donald Trump had a good day. He's had a lot of bad ones. He had a good day with the Mueller report coming out. Um, kind of clearing him. And then Michael Avenatti, uh, Michael Avenatti getting nabbed on top of it. That might have been the sweetest moment of all for Donald Trump. So give him one good day. Not so good day for the country, maybe. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's Tuesday, March 26th. This is the Bill Press Show. It's good to have you with us as we bring you up to date on all the news of the day. And uh, whether it's happening here in Washington, around the country, or around the globe, we're on top of it. We'll tell you what's going on. And we always look forward to hearing from you uh, what you think about the news of the day. Uh, Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show as we join you online, on the radio, and on television, coast to coast, and even around the globe. Uh, And pleased to welcome here uh, to the studio uh, to help us through uh, a good chunk of the news, maybe the biggest stories of the day, Pema Levy, a political reporter for the great Mother Jones. Hi, Pema. It's good to see you. Good to be here. You guys were, we didn't get any rest over the weekend, huh? (laughs) No, it
3: was a busy weekend.
1: It was. I mean, with Friday saying, oh, the report's finished, and then Saturday speculation about what could be in it, then Sunday we hear it's going to be at least a summary released that afternoon, and uh, so. And we're off. No, we're off, and still trying to figure out what the (laughs) hell happened, right? right? We
3: we still don't actually have the report here. We have Bob Barr's summary of the report, so, you know, we're all sort of talking about things and drawing big conclusions.
1: Based on these four pages. Based on
3: what Barr says, Mueller says.
1: Right, yeah. So all the more reason. We have to see the full report. Uh, And Democrats are saying they want to see it by next Tuesday. Uh, So lots to talk about. Your comments welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. Before we jump in uh, with Pema. Peter's got the other comments, so we say. But first, <laughs>
0: this is the
1: full we'll man. I'm just waiting for those two. Words. I know. Without
0: those two words, you can't I'm do anything, right? I'm completely lost. So. Okay, here's a couple other. Sto- here are a couple of other stories happening out there. Very interesting report. A big report released yesterday by Energy Innovation. They are a nonpartisan think tank, and it shows that the cost of solar and wind energy is plunging dramatically. It is much more affordable to use these sources of energy. And they are getting so affordable, they made a point to say that 74% of the US coal fleet could be phased out for renewable energy and still save customers money. 74% of coal factories could be completely shut down and they use renewable energy instead, and people will still save money. They say that at the rate that it's going, the drop, the way that it's dropping, by 2025, 86, you could close 86% of coal plants in this country. Now, again, you still have Donald Trump running around saying that he's going to bring yep. back clean coal. Uh, clean coal is going out whether he likes it or not.
1: Uh, this is huge. Uh, it's a and really it, big deal. And it proves that, like, the Green New Deal... Uh, this goal of getting to a fossil-free energy uh, economy is yeah. not uh, impossible. It's not pie in the sky. It's real. Yeah. yeah. Sooner than we think.
0: Uh, let's move on to something else. Uh, I-, I think everybody knows it's not a great idea to give your kids a bunch of sugary drinks, like sodas and things like that. Well, yesterday... Two big groups, the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Heart Association, came out to say it's so bad out there for parents that are giving uh, their kids soda all the time. They have, for the first time, proposed and endorsed taxes on sugary drinks, limits on marketing sugary drinks to kids, and financial incentives to encourage healthier beverage choices. So there's, they've been saying for years, obviously, yeah, this is not yeah. a good idea. Now they're saying they want government action to help rein in this uh, problem.
1: Some people have opposed that before, but there's always been a lot of opposition, particularly on the part of the soda manufacturers. Yeah, right? but again, this
0: is the first time well, good, the uh, good. Academy of Pediatrics well, has come out. For
1: well, hope people like are listening. That.
0: This is the Bill Press Show.
1: First, we had the Mueller report. Now we get the Mueller report revenge out of the White House. From Donald Trump to Kellyanne Conway to Sarah Huckabee Sanders to Rudy Giuliani to Lindsey Graham, they're all saying now we're going to get even with our enemies. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Uh You know, we hate a sore loser. We also hate a sore winner, and I think that's what we're seeing. It is Tuesday, March 26th. This is the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. Thanks for joining us as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital with all the news of the day, Uh, and look forward to hearing from you what you think about it all as we join you online, on the radio, and on television. Uh, Pema Levy political reporter from the great Mother Jones, uh, kind enough to join us uh, in studio at this hour. Pam, it's always good to see you. Uh,
3: always good to be here. Thanks for coming
1: in. Um, the um, uh, Muller report. I thought um, Mother Jones, uh, thanks to uh, David Korn, put out a very good piece Sunday um, as we were um, waiting for to find out even more about uh, the Mueller report. Uh, David's point was, whatever the, whatever Bob Barr says in his summary We learned a lot from this Mueller investigation. It was not a witch hunt.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the narrative now, especially the narrative coming from the White House and Trump's allies, is this was all nothing. This was a witch hunt. This was a political attack. And if you just slow down for a minute, you can remember, you know, there are people going to jail (laughs) because of this investigation. There are... 34 indictments, I think, because of this investigation. 34
1: individuals and three corporations indicted.
3: Right. Right. And so that's not a witch hunt or a a nothing. And I think, you know, the point that that David has made continually, I think virtually since the election that I think still holds and is important to keep in mind here is that, (laughs) you know, you had a campaign that was aware that Russia wanted to help them and took meetings with them instead of going to the FBI and being like, hey, guys, the Russians are here. And and they also, you know, they hid that fact. Um, they encouraged it. You know, they took these meetings. Um, and then their allies on Capitol Hill, you know, Mitch McConnell, tried to basically quash any um, alarm bells from ringing about the Russians getting involved, not just in social media, but, you know, hacking election systems. So there was this full attack going on. And Trump and the several Republicans were... Literally trying to hide it, mm-hmm. um, you know. So now we have a report that we no one has seen, and it says there's no collusion. Okay, what does that mean? Because we have all these other points here that show that there was, um, there was, you know, some amount of abetting going on.
1: Right. Um, but but I just wanted to add to the 34. The other number I saw yesterday um, numbers rather uh, in addition to the 34 indi- 34 individuals, three corporations. By the way, among those 34, there were six top Trumpers, right? Right. His campaign manager, his deputy campaign manager, his national security advisor, right? Right. Um, His personal attorney. So we're talking about some serious people here. Um, There were uh, uh, the the life of the Mueller report. Mueller issued 2,800 subpoenas, uh, exercised 500 search warrants, and interviewed 500 witnesses. Again,
3: yeah, it's comprehensive.
1: It was comprehensive. It was no yeah. witch hunt. Now, um, I think it ended, and I'd love to get your take on this, I really think it ended prematurely um, in the sense that I think Robert Mueller pulled the plug before he finished his job. Uh, Preet Bahara, the former head of the Southern District of New York, fired by Donald Trump, um, made this point yesterday. I know we're not supposed to criticize Robert Mueller, but I do think that he... Um, hadn't finished his job uh, in several ways. Here's pre pahara. It seems to be an, ab- an abdication of responsibility.
4: You give a case to a special prosecutor, a special counsel, for that person to make a, prosecute- a prosecutive decision, he did not. It may be that he thought, given how high the stakes were
1: and how sort of um, uh, close the question was on obstruction, that that's a question best left for Congress. So he didn't decide on obstruction, he said. I'm just going to leave that up in the air, right? Right. Uh, and also, he didn't press hard enough, I don't to believe, for an interview with the president. Here's a criminal criminal investigation into the president of the United States, and you don't interview the target.
3: Yeah. How yeah. can he not I, do that? Yeah, I think it's a tricky question. I think that you know you can sort of put yourself in Mueller's shoes here, and you know to play devil's advocate, sort of go, okay, well, you know they're not gonna like. Send the president over here for an interview without a fight. So, you know, maybe we'll have to issue a subpoena. And then there's a question of whether or not you can subpoena a sitting president for an interview. So then we go to the courts. You know, meanwhile, we're ticking toward 2020. Everyone's waiting for my report. Is it worth it that I go through all these steps? So <clears throat> I think that. yes,
1: <laughs>
3: Right. But, I mean, they're, they're, they did it for Bill know, Clinton. I don't know what the right Bill answer Clinton is. Clinton tr-
1: didn't want to talk to them either, you know, to Ken Starr. And they finally said, no, you got to do it. They I, took it to the court and the court ruled. Correctly. Clinton had to was not above the law.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, Mueller and Ken are operating under different um, laws they are. in terms of, of you know, a special counsel and an independent counsel. And I think that one of the things that this whole report will sort of revisit is whether or not Mueller ultimately had enough authority to successfully pursue an investigation or whether or not the special counsel regulations that existed for him um, were not strong enough that he felt he could make certain demands being, for example, an interview with the president or. Whether he has the authority to, you know, to interpret this tricky question of obstruction of justice, um, you know, I think there's going to be sort of a reevaluation of whether or not those laws are strong enough.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I was just my pushback on that would be, you know, he, I, 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 again, I don't see how. I remember at a time we everybody was saying he cannot complete his work without talking to Donald Trump. So instead, he settles for written answers. written answers to questions he had submitted that you know were written by Rudy Giuliani and Jay Sekulow, not by the president, right?
3: Oh, yeah, I would imagine. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, Tom Trump did not. (laughs) Or
3: edited or, (laughs) (laughs) you know.
1: (laughs) He did not sit down and talk to that. Um, So um, now um, we have, so what's next, do you think? Where do we go next?
3: Well, I think next there's just, there's going to be this fight over getting a hold of the actual report. Uh, You know, and and what it actually says, Um, you know, I think, (laughs) you know, uh, Jim Comey sort of pioneered this thing, right, where you say, well, I'm not going to charge this person, but they acted super irresponsibly and, you know, shame on them. Right. That was kind of a no, no. Mm -hmm. But but the Mueller report could be something like that. And I think Democrats are sort of holding on to hope that while, you know, he will have come short of finding um, conspiracy here um, come short of, of definitively finding obstruction of justice, there's going to be a lot of wrist slapping going on, uh, for the president and and his associates. And so I think, you know, for that reason, they really want that report to come out. Um, you know, the, I think that the White House's, uh, strategy here of just all out victory reprisal on people who, uh, you know, doubted them, who went after them. I think it's smart, um, but it definitely didn't wait for the Mueller report to come out to see what it is. You know, they're really trying to shape this narrative um, before there's actually a report there that might actually look bad for them. And so I think that there's a real challenge you know, for Democrats about how to handle this. On the one hand, they they need the report in order to sort of defend their position that there was um, real wrongdoing here and that there was a real reason for this investigation. Uh, you know, at, at the same time, they don't have it yet, and they have a, a president coming pretty strong at them. So I, I do think that's a tricky. The next week, few weeks are going to be really tricky.
1: Right. On the two charges on collusion, I was just looking for the exact language, but um, uh, clearly, I, I think maybe it's that the definition is so loose, but clearly there was some form of collusion going on. I mean, I'm not trying to rewrite the Mueller report, um, it, it, but I, th- I think the language, as I recall, is that there was no conspiracy to collude with the Russians on the part of the Trump people. But they still, we know that they had, when Donald Trump originally said, nobody in my operation talked to any Russian, right? There were multiple contacts.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's like, what I think what the American people want to know is like, where do you draw a line? Like, how far do you have to go before you've crossed from uh, innocent inquiry land into, you know, criminal collusion conspiracy land here, right? So you get an, an email that says, uh, the Russians want to help out your, your dad, and you say, if it's what you say it is, I love it. And then you have a meeting. Apparently, mm-hmm. that's still in just, you know, collusion curious land, and we're okay. And right. then, you know... You, at some point, if, I guess if they had followed up enough, they would have crossed into, you know, criminal collusion land here. But I think that people deserve a real, real line on that because I think it's a really tricky question. Uh, and, you know, and as I said before, there was an attack on the United States in 2016 in various forms, in terms of hacking election systems, in terms of, um, you know, voter suppression on, on social media, uh, in terms of hacking emails and releasing them. Uh, And at each step of the way, the Trump campaign rejoiced over those steps being taken to help them.
1: Right. And then on the issue of obstruction, even though Mueller does not conclude, right, um, you had the firing of James Comey, the bragging about why he fired James Comey, uh, the constant, constant attacks on Robert Mueller and his team—
3: Right, exactly and,
1: and and on Jeff sessions I mean
3: so again there should be some clarity here of like that's that's all uh the, the, not laudable the, behavior <laughs> and right. so I think the question is like at what point do you know menacing you know it's, it's not just menacing tweets from someone in their basement it's from someone in the White House it's from the president right so at one point does that uh you know does all of that activity amount to trying to obstruct justice um, and I think that that's a a real question, and you know the fact that that Mueller himself didn't even come to a conclusion means that it's not exactly a frivolous charge,
1: right? Um, does this the impact? Certainly, one outcome of this is that um, the poss- the the likelihood or the even the possibility of impeachment hearings is done, right?
3: I think certainly for now, yes. I don't think that Democrats. Would be wise to pursue it. And I think that Nancy Pelosi in particular is very aware of that. You know, I think she tried to shut the door on that, but leave it a little bit ajar in case Mueller came out and said, you know, he broke the law. Uh, You know, but I think that, you know, she's going to try and close that a little bit more and, you know, pivot to things that Democrats actually win campaigns on like the economy and healthcare, Mm -hmm. and uh, jobs and Mm -hmm. and student debt and all of, you know, all of those sorts of issues that, um, you know, in 2018 really worked well for them. Uh, You know, people weren't out in their districts, you know, yelling about the Mueller report. They were talking about these, you know, other issues. So, you know, I think that she's going to want to sort of close the door on this and, um, you know, look more into, you know, those other things that that are actually politically good for them. Uh, You know, but I do think, again, there's still a question. There's still a lot of unanswered questions. And I don't think that, You know, folks on the uh, Judiciary Committee and the Intelligence Committee want to just throw up their hands and abandon finding out. You know more of the truth,
1: Uh, which they're which they're not going to do. Those hearings, no, No, those hearings, those hearings will go forward. And something else that's going to go forward is that um, for for Donald Trump to think that he's totally out of the woods on investigations, he's kidding himself, right? I mean, there are several investigations still ongoing. If Mueller's done, the Southern District of New York, for example, is not done.
3: Right. And I think, you know, <laughs> the Democrats just took over the, the House of Representatives here, and, and they have a lot of investigating that they intend to do. Now, right. maybe this report will have changed their plans, but I doubt it, right? The judiciary sent out requests to 81 people, I think, asking for documents. Um, you know, I think that there are remain a lot of unanswered questions that they want to get to the bottom of. And some of that is, on some level, even more dangerous for Trump because that's talking about his own personal finances, his family's finances, his family's business. Um, that's not Russian collusion, but it's um, potentially legal activity that, that he is involved in.
1: And with the Southern District of New York, New York, you've got the inaugural committee, you've got the hush money payments, you know, there's the tax evasion, there's questions about the loans to Deutsche Bank. I mean, you're right. They're looking into the finances. I always felt, frankly, that was going to be follow the money. That was going to be those financial transactions that that caused more trouble for Donald Trump than the other stuff. But we'll see.
3: Yeah, I mean, when someone really, really doesn't want to release their tax returns, it's a good indication that you need to look at their tax returns <laughs> and that their finances might not be, uh, you know, kosher. Uh,
1: meanwhile, there are Democrats who are talking about some other issues. One of the issues that you've been reporting about that we talked a little bit about last week, uh, reporting on, is. Um, almost a full-throated call on the part well certainly on the part of several candidates for 2020 of um adding to the numbers on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um what form is that taking and where's it going?
3: You know, it's a really good question. I think I came to this, you know, uh you know, I think uh Pete Buttigieg judge was the first one to mention this and I think uh that's interesting um because I think when you're a candidate who's you know, a a small city mayor who isn't very well known and needs to make a name for yourself in a campaign, you're going to be more willing to embrace um, issues that, you know, might not be universally welcome, right? You might be a little more willing to go out there and talk about big ideas because you need to get that attention. Um, But then what happened is that then Beto O'Rourke said, yeah, Mm -hmm. let's look into that. Mm -hmm. And then pretty soon everyone else is on the spot about it. And a lot of them saying, yeah, I'm I'm not going to rule that out either. Uh, and I saw that and I was I was like, well, but FDR did it. And that was, you know, or he tried to do it. And that was, you know, sort of this lesson that we've taken throughout history that, oh, you can never pack the courts. Look what happened to FDR. You know, he ruined everything. Um, and, and what I found is that there are people who are really willing to sort of rethink that political lesson and really push people uh, to alter the courts. Um, I think that the direction it takes is whether or not to so are multiple sort of, I would say, factions uh, when it comes to reforming the court. And I think the direction it goes next is which one uh, candidates decide that they agree with. Um, so really quickly, there are folks in sort of like legal academia who think, uh, I think rightly so, that the court has really lost a lot of credibility. It's seen you mm-hmm. know, as a political institution. And they're sort of like, well, in order to save it, let's reform it. And so they have these sort of ideas to make it less political. Um, those ideas, really couldn't happen without a constitutional amendment. So I don't know how practical they are. Um, then you've got Eric Holder, the former attorney general, saying in a sort of an eye for an Department, eye fashion. Reforming
1: yeah. it would include uh, term limits, for example. So
3: Right. So, for example, term limits. Um, there's a proposal where you have five Republicans, five Democrats, and then five chosen by consensus of, of those ten. Uh, and then there's one that says it's actually just a rotating panel of appellate court judges. So it's not even a permanent uh, court of its own. So those are the three main mm-hmm. academic ones. Then there's Eric Holder who says, look, they stole a seat, so we should add a seat. Basically, you know, restore the balance of where it was uh, before uh, uh, Merrick Garland and, you know, where, you know, there's claims that, that a seat was stolen. Uh, and then... Lastly, there is a group that I I think is really interesting, uh, actually called Pack the Courts. And they have a much more um, FDR-esque proposal here, which is basically, if a Democrat wins, we need Medicare for All, we need a Green New Deal, and we know the Supreme Court is going to strike that down. And so we just have to add justices that will uphold those policies. It's very pragmatic, but I think also, you know, the most politically dangerous and the most... um, uh, I would say, dangerous for folks to sort of sign on to. Uh, but it's, on some level, the, the most pragmatic and the most, <laughs> uh, you know, you can it can be done without a constitutional amendment, I think. Um, and so it, that's, they're sort of pushing hard for folks to sort of say, look, if you want to actually enact these policies, you can't just get them through Congress. You have to make sure that they can be upheld by the courts.
1: Isn't the problem or the risk that if Democrats do that, then the next Republican president is gonna do the same thing.
3: Oh, absolutely.
1: And pretty soon will end up with a court with fifty people on it or something. I don't right. know. Right. I... And
3: and certainly one that it, again it, it's how the reputation of the court stays intact at that point. So I think that there are <laughs> the sort of like slippery slope argument that's a really that's really a, a a real argument here. Um, you know, how do you how do you preserve these in- institutions uh for posterity, that they continue to be democratic institutions and not you know, such a political football that, you know, every time a new president from a different party is elected, they're just, you know, adding justices.
1: Right. Um, so that, you're right, there are variations on the theme there. It's a big idea, and it's out there, and people are talking about it, which I think is in itself exciting. Uh, another big idea that's out there that people are talking about is uh, maybe a little, maybe easier to bring about, maybe more direct, uh, and maybe even more popular Get rid of the Electoral College.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that when you just sort of step back and look at the numbers on the Electoral College, um, there are some things that are pretty striking. Uh, so I was born in 1986, and Republicans have only won the popular vote twice in my lifetime. <laughs> you know, but they've been in power for, uh, you know, many years of my of my lifetime, right? 16? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, almost half. So you have a situation here where you have an... Archaic form of electing a president that twice in recent years has overturned the the popular uh, vote. Now it is in the Constitution, but um, as you're aware, there's sort of a a way that folks think they can get around it. Um, I imagine it would be challenged in court, but maybe it would be upheld, uh, which is basically that there's a compact of states and they all sort of national
1: popular vote. They call it right,
3: exactly. And so basically, you just say, well, as long as as when enough states join this compact. Uh, that their combined electoral votes equal 270, then we all agree that mm-hmm. our electoral votes go to the winner of the popular vote. And that means that you automatically have 270 for the winner of the popular vote. Now, <laughs> in order to get there, you have to have smaller states who benefit from the Electoral College agree to sign on to that. Uh, and I think getting there will be uh, difficult.
1: And I, the last I checked, there were 12 states, I think, and I forget the number of of, of- electoral votes that they represent. Um,
3: I think it's about 180 maybe, 160, 180.
1: Uh, but those states do not include California yet, I don't believe, and I, New York, right? I mean, in other words, you can you could also get a couple of big states added on and make a big difference in a very short period of time.
3: I, th- I think that that's right. I, I haven't reviewed the, the members recently. Um, I think Colorado is poised to join. Um, but in order to get to 270, you are going to need some some states that are that lean that are red states right now, and and that you know politically it makes sense for them not to join because the electoral college is actually helping uh, where they're headed. So mm-hmm. it'll,
1: uh, it'll
3: be tricky, but I think it's interesting.
1: I I, I think it's great, and I think it's a it, uh, and again it's one that most of the 2020 candidates have signed on. I'm, I'm sure there'll be some put, pushback from. Um, the red well, states. Right. President
3: Trump certainly is yeah. now a fan, now <laughs> is a fan of, of the Electoral College here. And I think, oh. you know, what's really striking is, you know, there have been articles recently about, you know, with Republicans just talking frankly, like, you know, we don't expect to win the popular vote in 2020 or maybe ever again. But as long as we have the Electoral College, we can keep winning. I mean, they literally say that in print, <laughs> you know, that that is exactly their strategy is the Electoral College is what's going to keep us in power because we don't expect to win the popular vote.
1: So if it's ever challenged those statements it seemed to me could be good fodder for people to argue before the court that this is just nothing but if you know, anything their it's, partisan it's, political survival that is there
3: yeah, I mean, if anything it is um, those kinds of quotes are helpful in in sort of painting a picture of, you know what the electoral college is is actually doing at this point and you know uh, and what it means
1: uh, and also how it began with the slave states really. Again, again, smaller slave states wanting to retain their power, right? And I think, what is it, two presidents this century? Yeah. George Bush and... Donald Trump. Donald Trump,
3: right.
1: I mean, and three overall, I believe, but two have been in this century, so it's becoming more and more of a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Um, What is happening... You've also been writing about... um, We've seen the problems <laughs> with, uh, with uh, some of these big high-tech companies, particularly Facebook seems to be the hardest in getting its act together.
3: Yeah, so I think I've written a couple stories about them recently. Um, I think you might be referring to the one about their big ad settlement mm. this past week. Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, I don't want to actually say too much because I have another story coming out of oh, this. Oh, but, okay. no, cool. but, but what's really interesting is basically they've been sued by multiple civil rights firms in the ACLU. For a couple of years now, um, because they had ads on their uh, on Facebook uh, that were discriminating, and that is in violation of federal laws. So some ads, you know, um, you know, if you want to target, you know, if you want to sell, um, you know, Ebony magazine to black women, you know, you should be able to reach out to to just black women and and try to be like, hey, you want to buy this magazine that's made for you? Um, but if you have an ad for uh, housing. <laughs> Or jobs Mm -hmm. or credit Mm -hmm. uh, those are covered by federal civil rights laws and you can't just go to a white person and say hey want to buy this house in this nice neighborhood or hey want this low-interest loan you have to make those available to everyone and because of Facebook's uh, very like sophisticated targeting uh, advertisers could go into, you know, the ad portal on Facebook and say, we only want to give loans to white people or we, you know. And so there have been lawsuits about this and, there you know, Facebook has slowly been making some changes. But they finally announced this week a, a major settlement to settle two cases and two um, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission complaints um, to try to, you know, really make some fairly significant changes. Um, you know, you t- can talk to critics who don't think the changes go far enough, but try to remedy the fact um, that Facebook was making it possible for folks to exclude, and not just people with different races, but different genders. Uh, there's age discrimination uh, possible. There's, <laughs> you know, uh, people with disabilities. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of, of you know, protected classes um, in our society, and we have to make sure that, you know, as we can sophisticatedly target people um, with advertisements, um, we aren't discriminating at the same time.
1: You know, I don't remember, um, I, I'm sure it's happened in the past, I don't remember one company being in so much trouble <laughs> on so many different fronts all at one time, right? Yeah, and I you, mean... And, and it raises the question about whether they survive. Uh, I, I guess they do, but...
3: Yeah, they're they're so big the at this
1: privacy point. privacy issues, you know... That, yeah.
3: They're so big at this point that I, I, I certainly think they will survive, but I uh, you know and, and probably uh, find ways to thrive. Uh, I think on some level what you're seeing is the fact that they were ignoring problems for years and they were growing at such a large scale that the problems they were ignoring when they might have seemed small a few years ago just became magnified and magnified. and not just in the this country but globally. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, a lot of the problems we're looking at here of all the
1: high uh, of all the big tech companies.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Facebook is not unique here, but they have more members than Christianity. So (laughs) so there's uh, you know, they have an impact.
1: Slow down. What was that? (laughs) There are more Facebook. There are more people
3: Facebook. There are more Facebook accounts than there are followers of Christianity at this point. It's like two point three billion. Wow. Yes. So, you know, they have an impact.
1: That is, uh, <laughs> yeah. that is hard to, <laughs> Leave get to you with that to, to chew to, over. <laughs> yeah, it's to imagine that, right?
0: I mean, it's you know there are all these different ways to look at how big Facebook has gotten, but that really does uh, drive it home, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I yeah, can I add
3: to that. You know, I think on some level it's a little subjective how many like followers of Christianity yeah, sure, there sure. are. Yeah, sure, sure. But sure. we're looking at <clears throat> you know over two billion people with accounts all over the world. In fact, most of their growth is not in this country. And so, all sorts of issues that you might have thought, you know, 10 years ago, oh, it's just college students on here, whatever. And then all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's genocide in Myanmar and it's uh, Cambridge yeah. Analytica and it's, you know, people, you know, selling houses. And all of a sudden, it just touches every part of our lives. And small problems are big problems.
1: So, if they were a country, I mean, they'd be.
3: Yeah, pretty big. I'm not a biggest geography expert here, but I mean... I think, biggest
1: country on the planet, wouldn't they? I mean, I, I don't know what China, China is, China might
3: but... be bigger, but yeah, it's... Uh, um, yeah, yeah.
1: Do they have an army yet?
3: <laughs> they haven't told That's me bad. about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> God forbid. All right. Wow. Well, um, well, you've left us something to uh, think about. There are uh, a lot to think about. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. so much for coming in. Uh, great work at Mother Jones. Say hello to all of our good friends there at motherjones.com. Uh, check it out, subscribe, be part of the Mother Jones community here. When we come back, Ed Chung joins us from the Center for American Progress. Thanks so much, It's Good to see you. Thank you.
0: Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show.
1: Good to have you with us on this Tuesday, March 26th. Hello, everybody. And uh, we come to you live from Washington, D.C., we're brought to you today by the International Laborers Union of North America. Under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan, the laborers building a better America, for sure. That's their website, LiUNA, L-I-U-N-A, org. Salute them for their good work. Thank them for the support of the program. And welcome to the studio. Ed Chung covers legal issues. Uh, in fact, he's vice president of criminal <laughs> justice reform. Give him his full title at the Center for American Progress. American Progress, hello, it's good to see and you. Bill.
2: I'm going to record that as my ringtone.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, for coming in. Uh, I, I, so we're going to talk about the Mueller report. Yeah. That's uh, This is the big story of the day. I guess my question is, for the last two years, Donald Trump and the Republicans have been pummeling Robert Mueller, and for the most part... Democrats have been saying, you know, look, he's a good guy, he's independent, he's been doing his job. Now that the report is finished, is it time to maybe cast a little more critical eye, given the, 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 the what we've seen of the report, yeah. and all we've seen is this four-page summary from Four right. William Barr, uh, is it time to cast a little more critical eye at Robert Mueller, uh, in the sense that Maybe he didn't finish
2: the job? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think what we've seen of the actual report are snippets that amount to maybe a total of three sentences. And so the, and I'm talking about the quotes that uh, Attorney General Barr yeah, included yeah. in his summary letter. Good point. So we haven't seen that. Um, and uh-huh. it, I think there's a lot of speculation out there about whether or not Mueller narrowed himself in terms of the scope of the investigation. And I think it's way too early to come to even even look at that. We have to look at the report uh, that he actually submitted to Barr instead of these snippets here. I think it is fair to look at how the Justice Department, writ large, has handled this under this administration. And that includes not only what Sessions has done, what uh, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein's done, but especially now what Attorney General Barr has done. And I think without that kind of information and transparency, we can't critically analyze uh, what Mueller has actually done because we really don't know except for the fact that we have 30-some indictments and seven convictions that are related to this investigation. So I think it's a little bit early to get to go there.
1: All right, but we do know um, that he um, was willing to give up the opportunity or the uh, you know, pushing right. for a one-on-one interview by Donald Trump.
2: Yeah, I think that is something certainly that how that played out. How could
1: he? How could he not interview the target of the investigation?
2: Right. The whether or not you should, you should wrap up an investigation before looking at the primary person involved. is certainly something that we we should look at. But whether and I think there's too much of a summary at the beginning of from Barr saying that there it was. Essentially, he's trying to get across that there was unf- he was unfettered. Mueller was unfettered. Uh, so but we don't know what the process was between uh, the attorney. Sorry, uh, special counsel Mueller and the White House and the attorney general about whether or not uh, pr- Trump could be uh, interviewed. And so that is certainly one place. Again, I think for me, without okay. more right now, it may be it may be. All too right, soon so well, tell, the
1: yeah. second thing that sticks out to me yeah. is um, that he punted. Yeah when it came to obstruction of justice. Yeah. Well, as Pete Baharan uh, from the Southern District of New York, formerly there before Trump fired him, and others have said, that was his job. Yeah. His job was to say, did he or did he not obstruct justice? Instead, he just throws it up in the air.
2: So the passage uh, that from the Barr letter, and this is not Mueller's quote, but this is Barr's letter, so that's Barr's quote, which says that... Uh, he ultimately, Mueller, ultimately determined not to make a traditional prosecutorial judgment. I have no idea what that means, right? And so I'm not here to defend Mueller at all. I think one of the things that we have to look at, though, is what does it mean to not make a traditional prosecutorial decision? Does that mean that he ha- it was a close question and it was of such import that it, he it wasn't his place to say, an aggressive prosecutor would go for this, mm-hmm. whereas somebody who is a little bit more careful would say not to. And if he was the one that was making that call and saying, I'm not gonna be an aggressive prosecutor and I'm not gonna make that, that's one thing. But that to me doesn't, that's a traditional prosecutorial d- d- decision, right? Like I was a, when I was a prosecutor, you had to make close calls on decisions, uh, on cases yeah. all the time. Yeah. And so to me, that's not what this is about. There's something else here when you're talking about a traditional prosecutorial decision. To me, it signals that there are – there's this outside influence – I should say outside influence, like nobody's pressuring him. But there's this outside consideration where there are these different levels of what could happen afterwards, whether Congress should take that from this point on um, or whether somebody else within the department should. I don't think – it doesn't seem like from – again, we're just trying to read tea leaves here – but from saying – he didn't make a traditional prosecutorial judgment. Um, that that to me kind of brings in, well, this is a special unique situation where a decision maker maybe like Congress should be the one to make a decision. Maybe he didn't say those words, but again, a traditional decision would be prosecute, don't prosecute. And so the, that kind of weighing of whether this is a important enough case or the facts were um, strong enough. That's not what's going on. Okay, here. so for whatever
1: those reasons, as you point out, we don't know all, everything about it yet. Um, he did not reach it. He, he decided not to right. rule not, not and leave it up in the air, which then shifts it to the attorney general. Um, is it is Bill Barr uh, the person who should have made that decision given that he was on the record even before he was nominated for attorney general to say that there was no obstruction of justice. Yeah, Absolute. So flash forward, now he's attorney general and he's has to decide whether there, was any, whether there was any obstruction. What the hell is he going to say? You know what he's going to say. He's already said it
2: in a 19-page memo <laughs> over a year before. Yeah, right? it seems like he was just so, telling the people exactly what he was going to do, which he did, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. and it, and it looks like that Trump put him in that job for that one reason.
2: Yeah, and that to me, to, to answer your question like directly, no, he shouldn't be the one to make that decision. That was what the Senate Judiciary Committee had focused on, but you know, should have pressed even harder. Um, that's what Republicans in the in Senate- his In his confirmation hearing. In his confirmation hearing, right? So it came up, but it didn't come up strong. It, it, he wasn't pressed on it enough. I mean, he said he would follow this, you know, the, the processes of the Department of Justice, which could be read in a number of ways, right? So the, all of these uh, guidelines and processes are things that you should weigh in in making a decision, but they're not clear rules saying if this happens, then you do this, right? So these are determination factors to consider. So when you have that and you have a previous decision and then he comes and kind of is a little bit uh, you know, softer on it during the confirmation hearings, but we know what's going to happen. He absolutely yeah. should not make that decision. The What he said about obstruction of justice, what Barr said about this, to me is the most crazy thing about this report. Because, I mean, this is one key passage that I don't know if it's getting enough attention. He mentions twice that the activities of the president happened in public. One was earlier on, and then later on, in the third paragraph, where he says... In cataloging the presence actions, so right before that, he says in the letter, these are the elements that you need to prove to have uh, mm-hmm. obstruction. And then he says, in cataloging the presence actions, many of which took place in public view. So that's, a, to me, a key phrase because he sets it out ahead of time, then says these are the reasons why it was not provable. So he says, in cataloging the president's actions, many of which took place in public view, the report identifies no actions that in our judgment, in Barr's judgment, constitute obstructive conduct, had a nexus to a pending or contemplated proceeding, and we're done with corrupt intent. In a normal prosecution, you would think that people who were doing something with a corrupt intent would try to hide the, those things and do them in secret. And so it, it's clear from here that Barr made a determination based on the fact that the president's actions of firing Jim Comey or whatever all of these other types of things and, and that could have been obstruction happened in public view so therefore we're not obstruction so so that's therefore there is no corrupt intent and so th- that that's a huge factor and to me this president is different than yeah, anybody yeah. else that, that, that there is in terms of a traditional prosecution yeah. and to for that to ha- for that to be something that you set out right. in this way as an important factor is ridiculous yeah.
1: the fact about the fact to follow your point yeah. that Donald Trump bragged about firing James Comey to get the monkey off his back the Russian monkey off his back, if you will um, does not mean it was you know <laughs> right it was not obstruction right because Absolutely. he admitted it publicly Ab-
2: now these- a mafia Don might not, but you know he did right and there are these cases where you know um, you see some of these people who let's say post videos of an assault right there was a kind of a a a crime spree that happened a couple years ago where people were where where these kids were going up to just strangers that they didn't know and just kind of knocking them on the back of the head it was very serious issues but they would record them and post them online yeah yeah and those things, though, were not – you didn't you didn't think like, oh, that's not a corrupt intent. I mean they did something bad. They recorded it and they were bragging about it. Just because you were bragging about something publicly as this president was doing shouldn't be a determinant factor factors that you rely on. One of the few things that you rely on in this memo and that you cite in this memo as a reason that you're being – you're not going forward on the obstruction charge. That to me is uh, just – Just unthinkable. It's ridiculous.
1: Okay, so in the aftermath of this report, uh, first of all, uh, there is uh, the the, the reaction on the part of Donald Trump and his supporters has been uh, sort of bifurcated. First is um, this is total exoneration. Uh, The the, the president said that Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that Mitch McConnell yesterday uh, sums it up uh, on the floor of the of the Senate. No collusion. No conspiracy, no obstruction.
2: Is it that clear? (laughs) No, it's not. I mean, (laughs) what it is, is if you're looking at what the special counsel originally was tasked to do, they weren't only tasked to, he wasn't only tasked with coming up with a criminal prosecutorial decision. It was an investigation investigation generally, which included things beyond making a decision, yes or no, of when to prosecute. And I I looked it up, and it's very, I mean, the the actual Rosenstein letter that that gave uh, Mueller authority, it just said, it says, including any links and coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of Donald Trump, any matters that arose... or may arise directly from the investigation, and any other matters within the scope of the CFR. And so that's a very broad uh, you know, mandate that in this report comes to only very narrow conclusions of what is uh, prosecutable and not according to DOJ. And so that is why the expansive Mueller report that details everything else is so important, and it needs to be released.
1: Uh, well, that's I was going to get to that next. So the de- Democrats have said we want to see it by April second. When mm-hmm. is that? Is that next Tuesday? I, I think it's it. next week. Yeah. Yeah. Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Um, what? Are let's the ch-
0: just let's just make sure it's not April first. That would be. That's right. That would be right. Probably too weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: what are the chances?
2: Um,
0: so Barr has
2: said that he will release to the greatest extent practical, right? And, yeah, and I, I see your face, president,
1: the president, I know yeah, <laughs> if we believe it. And then the president yesterday said, "I, what was it, uh, I, I'd have no problem with it or yeah. like that. It wouldn't bother me at all. And I so, that's what he said. So,
2: and so, what can't be released is things that uh, there are certain stuff that happened in the grand jury that, under federal rules of criminal procedure, you can't release them because there's grand jury secrecy laws. Okay, but there's a determined. There are other underlying- Or any f- national security stuff. Were there any there? Yeah. Exactly, right. redact yeah. those. That's fine. And it will be a if if it is actually released, it'll be a heavily redacted uh, document. We should all expect that because of those factors, but. The one thing that I'm assuming that a report of this kind has is an executive summary of some kind, right? Or at least like top lines or or big points. So what Barr did was he summarized a summary and mm-hmm. of a of a large investigation. So at least let us see what Mueller himself wrote and what his de- decisions and the factors that he that went into his decisions were. D- will that be released? I think some of it will be released. Will we be satisfied with what's released? Probably not. Not because you know it's unreasonable or whatever, but I think our expectation of of what we need for transparency is so great in this in in this particular issue, uh, in order to have faith in a dis- in a government decision, that I think uh, we may be disappointed.
1: Well, it's so there's a, there's the report, and there are also the um, uh, the backup documents, right? right. Right, uh, and
2: and the question, I, I think we have a better chance at getting uh, the ba- the report than we do of the any kind of underlying evidence. So the evidence is something that, um, unless it go- something goes to trial and it's made a public record, it's usually not something that is divulged. Especially if there are other um, prosecutions that have resulted from this. I want to point one other thing out, if if I may, Bill. The one thing that this report, the bar summary letter. Um, pointed out was that because there was no... um, uh, He didn't press forward on obstruction. Barr didn't press forward on obstruction because there was no underlying conspiracy charge that Mueller came forward with. That, again, is too narrow because there were how many other convictions and indictments as part of this? So there are underlying crimes. It's not the narrow one that was being pursued. So even when he says that while it's not determinative, the absence of such evidence, meaning the absence of the fact that the president was not involved in an underlying crime, um, upon it, it bears upon the president's intent with respect to obstruction. So they didn't go forward with the conspiracy charge. and so their reasoning is therefore there can't be an obstruction. But there were other principal substantive charges, Against Gates, against Manafort, against Flynn, yeah. against every, Cohen, and everybody else that the president could have obstructed. So you don't have to necessarily obstruct that one narrow piece. So th- the reasoning of this is just really flawed. And that's why it's, I think it's driving a lot of uh, analysts and commentators crazy.
1: Right. And even on, I mean, the two principal charges. Uh, so the, it seems to me you could, uh, that, that what we learn from this is okay, on collusion. Now maybe there was not sufficient evidence of a criminal conspiracy to collude with the Russians, but there was a lot of collusion that took place, right? Right. right.
2: Exactly, and that's the part of, even if you don't have a criminal uh, prosecution, we as the public need to know what that is, and right. if Mueller was dismissing that, why he was dismissing that, and he was not going forward. right So it.
1: there are all these contacts, right? Mm-hmm. That multiple, multiple, multiple. Okay, and then on obstruction, Even if there were not sufficient evidence of a criminal conspiracy to obstruct justice, there were a lot of actions that amounted to a form of obstruction of justice, from the firing of Comey to the sacking of Jeff Sessions and the pressure on Sessions. And I think I saw 183 times or something that he had called it a witch hunt.
2: Yeah, yeah. And on top of that, again, there were other substantive crimes that you could have obstructed. Yes. And so— uh, so, that it, it's so it's not a total clean bill of health. No, nowhere near. And so, and yeah. not to mention, right,
1: Ed, uh, Ed Chung from the Center of American Progress, <laughs> AmericanProgress.org, that um, this investigation may be over, but the panoply of other investigations right. is not. They roll on, they right? roll on. And in some ways, they're equally serious.
2: Right? They're equally serious. You have, uh, I mean, of the things when you can when you say total exoneration when the White House says total exoneration, and you have pending criminal investigations against individual one, that to me is just you know the height of political spin, and you can't right. you can't get do anything. Else and
1: about and that. they impact they they encompass tax returns, financial transactions, campaign all, finance, campaign finance, hush money payments, mm-hmm. all of that. All of that, right.
2: And a lot of that, some of that happened beforehand. I mean, before the campaign, uh, before the campaign, during the campaign, in the lead up to it. Uh, And so I think the question here is, uh, you know, how much can we avoid and push back against the spin of it while at at the same time trying to have, and I'm talking about the public, trying to push for release of um, the, the report itself. And how much more based on kind of the spin of either Fox News or the White House, same thing, um, can the drumbeat for transparency continue?
1: Um, So there's another big legal story yesterday, um, and you are a uh, legal affairs commentator. Uh, There's also one on CNN, a friend of ours, by the name of Jeffrey Toobin. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he was asked by uh, Wolf Blitzer yesterday, his um, thorough... Uh, complete analysis of how much trouble um, Michael Avenatti could be in here at uh, Wolf Blitzer asking Jeff Tubin.
0: Let me get your legal analysis of all of this, Jeffrey. My legal analysis is Michael Avenatti had a bad, bad day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, uh that sort of sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I fully
2: agree with that. that
1: I mean, it <laughs> That's
0: was, my legal analysis too, and I have no background at all in the law.
4: Forty five
2: minutes apart, he uh Avenatti tweets, and then oh. the Justice Department comes after that and says, uh, by the way, you're yeah, you're 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 gonna be prosecuted for this. So,
1: so uh, how did that come about? So Nike says, Hey, this first of all, I, I guess any Lawyer try can, set, can offer a settlement for a case, right? Yeah, I, that, that's true. But I think what, but why was why is this different?
2: All caveats, meaning we only know what's out on yeah, Twitter and, and, and coming you. up, so yeah. we don't know exactly what it is. What's been reported is that he he not only tr- said he was going to release um, this information to the public, but that he tr- again, what, what was reported was he tried to say you need to hire us and you need to essentially give us money. Or else, this is going to happen, and so that seems to be, according to reports, um, the basis of the extortion claim. Uh,
1: had the FBI was this a sting operation, or, or uh, meaning, how, how did within forty-five minutes yeah. they must have been looking at this before he sent out that tweet? I guess, yeah,
2: I, I mean, I think in a, any kind of normal situation, when you have something like that, um, you could have the company after uh, he after the company's been um, contacted by somebody. Uh, directly report this and so forth. So it doesn't have to be necessarily a long-term sting operation that um, the FBI was looking at either Nike or uh, Avenatti, but it could have been, um, you know, uh, c- reported and then followed it up. It Seems
1: that the company David Boy's it was his firm, mm-hmm. big company, was involved sure. in the in the recount uh, in Florida. That um uh, said. Contacted the FBI and said, You take all to take a look at this. Maybe this crosses a line. The FBI obviously agreed.
2: Right? Yeah, so, I think that that could definitely be a, a situation. It's a common situation that happens. Do we know group. who Avenatti's attorney is? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: I'm not looking for a job here.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, they do great work there at the Center for American Progress. Uh, and check it out again at AmericanProgress.org. Tuesday, it's all yours. Make the most of it. Come back and see us again tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. This
3: is The Bill Press Show.